I pray this finds you having a blessed, wonderful day and new year. So happy new year uh, as we begin uh, the year of 2024. I pray that uh, 2023 was a blessing to you and that you're already looking forward to uh, what God has in store for you this upcoming year. We're going to continue in our time in the book of James together and we're going to pick back up. Uh, we took last week off, had some family and uh, coming in for uh, Christmas. And so took last week off to be able to have a little bit of time to unwind, decompress, and spend some time with family. But we have been in this passage of James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 um, for the last couple of weeks about the idea of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we got into uh, the last part of that about being slow to anger. And uh, what I want to do is I want to continue with that just a little bit before we get to verse 21, because uh, verse 21 is going to kind of sum everything up. Um, and what we'll do is we'll look here again at this idea of being slow to anger. And I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be able, if you want to say this, to be angry um, and what that looks like from a spiritual standpoint compared to what we deem as anger. And in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it tells us, be angry and do not sin. Or King James Version, as most people have maybe have memorized it, uh, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Um, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it says, for God's wrath, which is really holy anger, is revealed from heaven against all godlessness, an unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So we see that there is a holy anger. Um, a lot of times people will even go back to the passage in the Gospels when Jesus walked into the temple, saw that uh, they were um, selling uh, goods and gambling and bartering and everything within the temple. And Jesus comes in and flips the tables over and has a whip and he uh, gets them and, uh, all out of there and tells them that his house will be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. And when we think about the idea of um, anger and, and holy anger, I'm afraid that, that sometimes we may have a misunderstanding about it because we see anger as an emotion that we have. And unfortunately, in today's society and culture, anger is something that a lot of people have um, and a lot of people show. And, and it's not necessarily healthy uh, and it's not biblical. However, there is a, a, a biblical um, precedence for holy anger. Um, one commentator, Burdick, makes this comment. He says, Anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. An angry attitude is not the atmosphere in which righteousness flourishes. So again, James has said to be slow to anger. And what happens is if we sit down and we understand what he's meaning by this with the idea of anger, our, our anger can be reactionary. So what we're doing here, to give you an example, we have somebody who... Um, says something to us. And if our spirit is really not aligned with uh, Christ the way that it needs to, and we're not being led by the Holy Spirit, 
whatever that person says can really kind of get under our skin. And we can end up firing back off at them. And our anger is reactionary. And what I find with myself um, and with other people is nothing good ever comes out of me being reactionary. If someone says something and I react to that, usually um, that's that insert foot and mouth moment. What I do is I say stuff that I wish I hadn't. I say it in a, in a tone I wish I hadn't. Um, there's an attitude behind it. Uh, sometimes there's, a, there's a, a lot of anger behind it. And the part of that is because maybe I'm letting my attitude deem more about what they said. All right, I'm going to explain what I mean there. Sometimes if I have a bad attitude, it doesn't matter what somebody says. I'm going to read into that the way that I want to based on my attitude. And with that, there's a lot of problems that can come from that. Because if I'm having an attitude towards something and my demeanor is not good and there might be a little bit of anger already in me and somebody says something, what I'll do is I'll probably read into that something I don't need to. Because again, you go back to what James says, be quick to listen. Maybe I'm not listening well. I'm just hearing what I want to hear. And then the anger kind of kicks in. And what happens then is I do damage with that. Um... Anger is is really like trying to, to have a conversation with a sledgehammer. It's just not going to be productive in any way. And so understanding what anger really is, um, it's going to help us to be able to then transition over to understand what holy anger is. Because I, I'm afraid the reason why we don't understand holy anger is because of that word anger. Uh, most of us think of the word anger as um, something harsh. Uh, it, it's somebody's got veins popping out in their head, red faced, yelling, screaming, whatever it may be. But when we look at the idea of holy anger, holy anger is is different. Now, when we look at anger against others and against other people's actions, it's never productive. Never productive. When we get angry at someone. We react to them, and we react to them in a harsh, maybe even sometimes violent way, whether it be emotional, whether it be uh, verbal, whether it even be physical. Anger apart from the Holy Spirit never produces anything good. Never. So with that in mind, let's go into this idea of what holy anger is. Holy anger is not against someone and it's not even really against something in the sense of it could be different options. Holy anger is against sin. Alright? We have to understand when we look at the wrath of God or the holy anger of God all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it is always pointed towards and geared towards sin, sinfulness, sinful actions. And the difference between just anger and then holy anger is anger means we can get angry over anything. But holy anger means that we're only getting angry over sin and sinfulness. Now, we also have to understand this idea of anger. When I say that we're getting angry over sin, it's not like we start yelling, screaming, cussing, you know, all of this stuff over sin. What it is is that sin, seeing it, 
committing sin causes us to feel an anger about it. If we see sin, if we see sinfulness around us, it should it should so move us to want to do something about it. It should so move us to want to say something about it, to have some actions behind it. And, and that's really the idea of the anger, the holy anger. It's not that I see the sin and I get angry and I get mad and I get rage and frustration. It's that I see the sin and because of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within me, it moves me to want to do something about it. Again, go back to the example of Jesus at the temple. Jesus walks in, he flips the tables over, all the money goes flying everywhere. Uh, he, he has uh, the whip and he's getting rid of the animals out of the, the, uh, the temple. He's cleaning all of the sinfulness out. And for us, it's being able to see sin and sinfulness and want to do something about it. I'm going to give you an example of what I mean that is not right. And I know this has been a couple years ago, but there was, a, there was an example that there was a pastor, and he was in Florida. And I remember this on the news because the moment that I saw it, I remember looking over at my wife and I said, this guy has no clue what he's doing, and he's doing more damage than he is good. There was this pastor in Florida who was so against um, those of the Islamic faith that he ended up having this big promotion of we're going to have a Quran burning at the church. So we want you to go out and either buy Qurans um, or if, if you know where one is at, that you get it, you bring the Quran here to the, the church and we're going to have a public burning of the Quran. There is nothing about that that is good in any way, shape, form, or fashion. There's nothing about that that is honoring God. There is nothing about that that points to holy anger. Do I agree with the doctrine of the Islamic faith? No, I don't. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to tell our church members here that we need to go get the Quran and we need to burn it so that way we can show people that we don't like the Islamic faith or believe in the Islamic faith or support it, whatever terminology you want to use. There's nothing about that that is productive or good. You can have a study if you want to to show the differences between Islamic faith and Christianity. You can have a study to where you show the differences between the Holy Bible and the Quran. And to be able to teach people and show them. But to do something of that nature is not, not productive. Another thing that happened there for a few years was when Christians would go and they would literally bomb abortion clinics. And they would imply that they're doing this in, in the name of God in order to you know, protect babies and in order to show that abortion is wrong. I do believe that abortion is wrong. But I'm also not going to go and blow up an abortion clinic in order to prove that. That's not holy anger. And so those are some of the 
uh, extreme examples of how people have tried to use Jesus and Christianity to be able to do something that is not bringing glory to God in any way and is not holy anger whatsoever. That is someone reacting to their own anger. The idea of holy anger is that I see sin and it moves me to want to do something about it. It moves me to want to speak out against it. That's really what it boils down to. It, it, the holy anger of sin and sinfulness makes me want to speak out against it, to talk about why that sin is sin, to not be quiet, to not sit around and, and, and just say, well, you know, I believe that that's wrong, but I'm going to be quiet about it. No, it moves you to want to do something about it. But it also, I should have a holy anger against my own sin. And see, here's where I really believe the problem in lies is that we can't be angry over sin if we're not repulsed by our own sin. And I believe that that is the dynamic that we struggle with in our culture today is that we're not repulsed by our own sin. And, and you say, well, what do you mean by that? I'll give you an example. I don't know that many people today truly understand what repentance means and I don't think that we we really move towards repenting. I think many of us are really sorry we got caught and we go to God and we're like, oh God, please forgive me for this. I wouldn't repent of it, but you, you kind of caught me red-handed with my hand in the cookie jar, so I know what I'm supposed to do is repent. But then what we do is we try to go back and figure out a way to do it better without getting caught rather than actually being repulsed by our sin and, and our sin breaking us to the point of even weeping. We don't see that anymore. What we see is, is, is a group of people that call themselves Christ followers that are more sorry they got caught than they are repulsed by their sin. And so here's the thing, if I'm not even repulsed by my own sin, I can't be angry over sin in general. I just can't. And so what happens is, is now we've got to have a real clear definition of what sin is. And unfortunately, I believe that that's where things are really skewed right now. I think so many people have their own interpretation of what sin is. And it muddies the waters. To some, sin is, you know, these things over here. To others, sin is this stuff over here. To some, sin is, is not as big a deal maybe as, as it should be. To others... You know, they become very legalistic. And, and unfortunately, what we're doing, we're, we're making up the rules as we go. And we're going to find this here in just a little bit in the book of James. Chapter 4, verse 17, it says, So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Or it is sin uh, whenever you know what God's Word says and you're not going to do it. That's the definition of sin. And what we've done is, is we've made it vague. We, we've tried to, to, to say, well, times have changed. Culture's changed. And what we're doing is we're using the word tolerance to be able to wipe away sin, to be able to be repulsed by sin. What we're looking at is that it's more important for us to be tolerant of other people than it is for us to be biblical about defining what sin is. And so the problem is, is we're not getting angry with a holy anger. We're not being repulsed over, over our own sin. Hence, it causes us not to be repulsed by sin in general. And so now we don't know what a holy anger really is. 
And then anger actually just comes out. We become more reactionary. And now what happens is that the world, the unsaved, don't see a difference between the Christian and the unsaved when it comes to anger. They don't see us having a holy anger. They just see us having the same anger as them. And so that's why we've got to make sure that we're quick to listen. We listen more than we speak because if we don't, we're going to be more reactionary and it's going to cause us then to end up sinning because we're going to be reactionary and it's going to be more anger than it is anything else. And so James then continues on in verse 21. He says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth, And the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So the word therefore there in verse 21 is a transition word telling us how to have the proper perspective of anger. How to have the proper perspective of listening and being slow to speak. See, James gives us some steps here that seem simple, but sometimes the simple things are the hardest ones to do. The reason why simple things are the hardest to do is because we take for granted that we can just do them or we should be doing them. The first thing he says here is to rid or remove all moral filth and evil. All right? The simplicity here is to quit sinning, quit trying to rationalize sin, and live separate from the world. All right, that, that's the simplicity of what James is saying here when he says, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent. The simplicity is to quit sinning. The simplicity is to quit trying to rationalize sin. The simplicity is I have to understand that as a child of God, I must be separate from the world. There must be something that defines me and shows that I don't belong to the world. Well, the main thing is that glaringly obvious thing we struggle with called sin. See, what we find, and we go back to chapter 1 here uh, in verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So what we find is the problem that we have is temptation. We've got to rid ourselves of opportunities of temptation. See, one of the things that happens is when we have a holy anger about sin, when we're repulsed by sin, we don't want to have anything to do with it. All right, I'm going to give you an example. Let's say, for instance, that there is something that you believe to be gross, whatever that may be. If you know that you are, you have an opportunity to regularly be around whatever this is that you deem gross and repulsive. If it makes you feel that way, do you really want to continue being around all of that? Or are you going to find a way to say, you know what? I don't want to be around that. I don't want to see it. I don't want to smell it, whatever it may be. It is gross. It is repulsive. And I'm going to make sure that I am not coming in close contact with that. I'll give you an example for me. 
One of the things that I, I probably would say I struggle with more than anything else is vomit. I know when, when we had our, our first child with Joel, um, I remember that I had no problem changing diapers. None of that stuff bothered me. I could change a diaper. The smell never bothered me. My wife could go in and try to change a diaper and she would dry heave the whole time. Never had a problem with that. But I remember the first time that my son vomited and he had vomited milk and it was like curdled milk. I literally couldn't even be in the same room. The smell of that caused me to begin dry heaving so bad that I couldn't get the smell out of my nose. And so we kind of made a deal. I told my wife, I said, I'll handle the diapers, you handle the vomit. And I don't know how, but my wife can handle the vomit and it doesn't bother her. But I will do everything in my power. If I know that my boys, and it's not just even curdled milk, it's just vomit in general. If I know that my boys are getting ready to have the stomach virus, if they've come home and I know the stomach virus is going around and we got this whole, oh, daddy, my stomach hurts, I tell my wife, listen, I will do everything possible to help take care of the children, but I can't do the vomit because I will start vomiting. There's just something about it I can't handle. So what I do is I purposefully make sure that I'm not around or anything of that when that happens because I know what it does to me. Here's where I'm bringing this analogy around. Many of us are not repulsed by sin at all, which is why we can be around it, which is why we can hang around it. And it doesn't bother us. But if sin, if we saw it the way we're supposed to, it would repulse us and we would want to be away from it. Now, go back to what I initially said here about the simplicity of this. James says, rid or remove yourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. What he's saying here is you've got to make sure that you stay away from temptation. Temptation comes and the giving in of temptation is sin. So what you have to do is you have to make sure you understand what the temptation is. And so that way, when the temptation comes, you're less likely to give in to the sin if you're aware of the temptation ahead of time. But you have to be repulsed by sin in order for you to see temptation for what it really is. And see, then what we do is if we're repulsed by sin and we recognize the temptation, we don't want to give in to it, we also quit trying to rationalize sin now. See, that's one of the big problems that we, f- we focus on in our lives as well is we kind of look at it and say, well, you know, it's not that bad. This sin isn't hurting anybody else. And we rationalize it to make it feel good and sound good as if it's not as big a deal maybe as it really is. But it's because we're not repulsed by it. See, sin is all around us. That's why it says here, the evil that is so prevalent. And if we are led by our emotions, we will succumb to anger and other emotions causing damage. See, when we're not repulsed by sin, and we're not letting the Holy Spirit lead us, but we're letting our emotions lead us, we'll succumb to the temptation. We'll succumb to our emotions. We'll succumb to the lust, the anger. All of these different things that can be our emotions that, listen, emotions in and of itself are not sinful. It's when we allow our emotions to lead us and we give in to those emotions. And those emotions will cause us to give in to temptation and pursue sin. See, without ridding ourselves 
of these that he says here, the filth and the evil and the sinful lifestyle, we will be unable to live and walk an effective Christian life. Really, this is the best way of describing it. If we're not trying to live a life being repulsed by sin, we will never try to rid ourselves of temptation and a sinful lifestyle. We won't. And what will happen is, the, the best way to describe it is you'll be living a Christian life constantly trying to put out fires. You're going to be tripping over your own feet, giving into temptation, falling into sin, having to come back and repent, and basically rinse and repeat. Because you're not being repulsed by the sin to the point that you want to just move past it. What you want to do is is you just you fall into the temptation and the sin, and then what happens now is you're basically just waiting to trip over your own feet again rather than saying, you know what, Lord, I'm repulsed by this. I want you to cut it out of my life. I want you to get rid of it. I don't want anything to do with it anymore whatsoever. I want this sin as far away from me as I can. I want you to help me to become aware of the temptations that's going on in my life. And God, I want this, I want this away from me. I want to be rid of it. And look what he says now. If we're we're able to be repulsed by our sin and we want to get rid of those things, he says now, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So what does he mean by that? I think this goes back to the simplicity of the gospel and the word of God. The word is our life. It's our food. It's our sustenance. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. The Word is the bread of life. It is absolutely everything that we need. And so here's really where I believe that this is coming from. I believe what James is telling us here is, quit trying to live the Christian life apart from the Word of God. Now, you may say, well, Jeremiah, that's Captain Obvious. No, 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 hold on. Let's just be really real and raw right now and just ask this question. How much time do we really spend in the Word of God on a daily basis? How much time do we really spend in the Word of God on a daily basis? If I really do believe that the Word of God is my life, my food, my sustenance, the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path, it's all of these things. Should it not be one of the highest priorities that I have in my life, in my day? If I look at my normal day-to-day life, all right, you think about it from this standpoint. I know that I need water. I need liquids in my body. Now, I'm a coffee drinker. I'm a tea drinker. um, And I drink water. I know that I need to have those things because my body is mostly made up of water. And if I don't replenish my body with water, I'm going to feel the physical effects of that. I also know that I need food. Now, I probably eat more food than I need, but I know that I need food. I'm not going to be able to go a whole entire day without food and feel really well. I got up this morning. I'll give you an example. I got up this morning a little after 6 o'clock. 
All right, let's say, for instance, I got up at 6 o'clock and I got me a Little Debbie cake. All right, I got me a Little Debbie cake. And that's all I ate all day long. How do you think my body is going to feel come about 6 o'clock later that evening, about 12 hours after I got up, when the only thing I've done is had a Little Debbie cake? My body is going to be struggling because it's needed certain things in order for it to function on a high level. The problem that we have is the same in our Christian lives. Many times, if we are even in the Word of God, we get up in the mornings, we might do a quick five-minute devotional, basically a little Debbie cake, and in that five-minute devotional, we really ran through it. We didn't journal. We didn't sit down and spend time in prayer and say, Hey, God, I'm coming to you this morning. I want you to open my mind, open my ears, open my heart. God, speak to me. God, how do you want me to take what you're going to do in my life right now, and how do you want me to use it throughout the day? None of that. It's just we open a book, we read a five-minute devotional, we've done our Jesus for the day, we walk out, and we spend the rest of the day living on our own strength. We're not reliant upon the Word of God. We're not deep into the Word of God on a daily basis. We're not understanding. We may say it with our mouths that we believe that we need to be in God's Word. That God's Word is our life. It's our sustenance. It's our bread. It's our water. It's everything. But the problem is, is our actions don't show that. The average person, I believe when I read this right not long ago, the average person will spend four hours a day on their cell phone. Four hours a day on their cell phone. How much time do I spend with God in reading my Bible and in spending time in prayer with Him compared to the amount of time that I spend on my phone? See, the Word of God saves us and when implanted into our hearts and lives keeps saving us, which is sanctification, by making us more like Jesus on a daily basis. See, the reason why we've got to have the Word of God regularly in our lives, being able to do and move and, and make and mold, is because being a Christian is not about simply just getting saved and making sure that I don't go to hell. Being a Christian means that I am constantly trying to grow and become more like Jesus every day. Being a Christian means that I've got to daily be in the Word. I've got to daily be seeking out God. I've got to daily be making sure that the Word is guiding me. And see, it's not just when we go back to verse 19 where it says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's not even so much about listening to other people as it is about listening to God and listening to His Word. i got to spend more time listening to God and listening through His Word than I am anything else. And that can only be accomplished if I'm spending time with God. I've got to make sure that I'm letting His Word 
continue to daily sanctify me and make me more like Jesus. And the more that I'm like Jesus, the more that I'll recognize temptation and sin, the more that I'll be repulsed by it, the more that I don't want anything to do with it, the more that I'll be able to rid myself of all moral filth and evil that James has talked about here. See, it's, it's the simplicity of just being in the Word of God. It's not about just trying to do the very best that I can. It's not about trying to hurry up and get a little Jesus in me in the morning and then live my day. It is trying to understand that I need to be saturated in the Word of God on a daily basis in order for me to truly walk the way that God intends me to on a daily basis. And see, what that does then is now that causes me to be separate. That causes me to uh, look at my life and be able to, uh, other people to be able to look at my life and say, wow, there's something different about him. Other people are able to see that I'm repulsed by sin. And I don't have an anger and I'm not reactionary, but I have a holy anger, which means that I'm speaking out biblically about sin. See, I will have a biblical worldview. I won't just sit down and say, well, I believe this is wrong. No, I'll be able to point out from Scripture why this is wrong. See, there's a difference. I'm not just going to walk around and say, well, I believe this this is wrong. I don't think you should be doing this. Well, why? Well, here's what God's Word says about this. And now that changes the whole trajectory. Because I'm not being angry in the sense of what we deem as anger, but I'm showing a holy anger for sin and wrongness by being able to speak out against it from the Word of God, which is what I'm spending my time doing, which is implanted in me, which is saving me more every day through sanctification, making me more like Jesus. Because really what it means is living my Christian life is not about sharing my opinion, but sharing the Word of God. And I can only really share the Word of God when I'm quick to listen to it. So that's what I want to encourage you with today is to, as we begin this new year, really spend time in God's Word. I know many people will sit down and say, oh, I'm busy and I've, I've not got this amount of time. And Listen, if we've got time to spend four hours on our phone every day, we've got plenty of time to sit down and spend in God's Word. I remember there was a statement that was said a long time ago, and I wish I could remember who said it. But they said, you make time for what you love. We love to talk about the Word of God, but how often can we really say we love the Word of God? You'll know by the amount of time that you spend in the Word of God how much you love the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you to sit down and and look at your own lives. For me to sit down and look at my life and say, number one, how much time am I spending in God's Word daily? Number two, am I really repulsed by sin? But more importantly, am I repulsed by my sin? Do I spend more time trying to rationalize my sin or understanding that I'm repulsed by it? And taking that to God in prayer and saying, Lord, help me today to quit rationalizing any sin that I have. And God, help me today to to be more repulsed by my sin today than I was yesterday. To help me to be able to remove all, all this moral filth and evil that's so prevalent. And God, help me to surrender to sanctification. I pray this has been an encouragement to you. Most of all, I pray if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you'd understand that He loved you enough to die on a cross for your sins, paid your sin debt so you could be able to accept the free gift of salvation 
of Him as Lord of your life. I encourage you to find somebody that you know that is a Bible-believing Christian and ask them what it means to repent of your sins and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. I also encourage you, if you've listened to this podcast and you've not given it a um, rating or a review, I encourage you to give it a five-star rating if you think that it's been a blessing to you and give it a review so it can get out there a little bit more. And also, if you're looking for a book to read, uh, I've written a book called The Reality of the Enemy. It's uh, for sale on Amazon and on uh, barnesandnoble.com. You can check that out and get it. It's a short read. You can even use it as a devotional to be able to uh, grow in your walk with the Lord. And it teaches us what the strategy is that Satan uses to be able to bring temptation into our lives and lead us to sin. So that'd be a good read for you to pick up and be able to get. Look forward to getting into our time next week as we'll get into probably one of the the more familiar verses in the book of James about being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So we look forward to getting into that together in our next podcast. Pray you have a blessed day.